Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast here in San Jose, California. We have another great episode. This episode we are featuring the one and only Amber Victoria Baldwin. She is a great artist. She is a good friend of mine. Me and her go way back. And I'm happy to finally have her here on the podcast studio. We had a great chat about art. We had a great chat about creativity. We had a great chat about the struggles of creativity in the modern age. So I think it's definitely an interview where there's a lot to be pondered about, a lot to think about, a lot to contemplate, and I'm pretty sure everybody could learn something from it. I certainly did. But before we go there, we are going to another segment. This segment is Going Viral with Chase Doherty. Here we talk about the arrest of a recent uh, incident. Uh, it happened to a, uh, a nurse, got arrested, and... Uh, as you're about to find out, it's it's pretty sketchy reasons why. So uh, I know this has been a controversial topic, but uh, I hope we, we do it justice here. How are we doing, people? How are you guys doing? Uh, I hope you guys are spending your Sunday great. Maybe you're working. I, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, maybe you're studying. Maybe you're working on an art project. Whatever it is you may be doing, uh, I'm very happy you are tuning in. I also like to remind you all that please help out this podcast to keep going by pledging at the Patreon account. So go to Patreon, search for JMS Podcast, check out the pledges, check out the uh, plans, and I'm sure there's a plan for everybody. Any donation counts, and every donation has its own rewards. So uh, again, go to Patreon and search for JMS Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can follow the JMS Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are all over the place over there. And for all the content available to you, please check out the JMS Podcast website. Search for jmspodcast.com. If you'd like to email me for any reason, you can email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. I am doing okay. I am getting uh, back together. Had a long couple weeks. I uh, recently celebrated the third year anniversary uh, for Scotty Comedy Night. Oh my god, I can't believe it's been 30 years. And I gotta admit that uh, it was bittersweet. It was very bittersweet. It was a great accomplishment, and not many open mics survive in the cafe environment for three years. That I am very grateful for, and all the opportunities and the people I've met while running the uh, For Scotty Comedy Night. But at the same time, uh, from a uh, comedian level, it's like, oh Jesus, three years has passed. I wonder if I got any better. I wonder if... um. If my role in the comedy community uh, is um, a pivotal one, I wonder. I wonder if um, I wouldn't say wasted my time, but I just hope that it was time well spent, uh, because it takes a lot of time to uh, run an open mic, and sometimes it has limited me from you know spreading my comedy wings out there. But overall, on and all, I gotta say, three years is has been a long, fun ride. And I hope for one more year, at least. I don't know. I'm not ready to throw in the towel, but I'm definitely ready to hand it off to somebody. But as always, uh, you gotta be careful who you hand it off to, alright? I, I know that it's not an easy thing. It's, it's, a, it's a delicate mic. It's a very demanding open mic. And I don't think everybody or anybody's up to the job. Uh, things it takes a certain type of person, certain of uh, of certain understanding, for lack of a better word. 
But yeah, once again, man, um, or woman, or anything in between who you're listening in, I am feeling uh, bittersweet about it. I feel like I have a long way to go as a comedian and as an open mic host. So, um, but without much further ado, I, I must admit that I, I am very grateful for those years. And uh, I, I can only look back and reflect um, the many times that I failed on that stage, that I that I succeeded, and that uh, I've managed to be inspired at the same time, m- inspire others. Wow, I kind of vomited in the back of my throat. Inspired others. I don't understand those people sometimes. Those people who say they want to be the inspiration for other people. It's like, calm down, alright? Like, who really gives a shit at the end of the day, alright? We're all gonna die. Doesn't matter who you inspired, who... who, It doesn't matter. I, I don't know why certain people make a big deal out of it. Me... I let the work work for uh, speak for itself. All right, if, if the work inspires you, great. Don't let me inspire you, because I'm pretty sure I'm in the same boat you are. I'm looking for someone else to inspire me. <laughs> all right, enough with the rambling. Let's go on with our segment with Chase Doherty. Let's go see what he has been up to, and uh, thank you again for tuning into the JMS podcast. How's it going, Chase? Ah, oh, it's going good, man. Got your little black tea there. Yes. You yes, said, I do. You said you're going vegan now. Yes, I am actually. And you're day four. Day day four into it. Um, I I feel good actually. Um, I don't feel sluggish. Uh, I don't feel overly tired. Um, actually, when I put on my shorts this morning, um, they uh, they fit me relatively good. So. <laughs> That's always a good sign. Yeah, it is sign. actually. Because last week when I tried to put them on. Uh, was having a little bit of a struggle actually yeah. so I, I guess i've already kind of started to notice some differences well, let me know how that goes i might join in okay for sure for sure now, what are we talking about today today oh man okay well, so what's gone viral on social media these days oh man so pretty much what has gone viral actually in this like last last week actually what has happened is um there was a story of a nurse getting arrested by a cop uh, at the University of uh, Utah Hospital, actually. So it actually occurred on Facebook, and uh, that's where I initially saw the video. And um, then it went all over the news networks, Washington Post, CNN, uh, Fox News, MSNBC. So it's mm-hmm. been everywhere, Snapchat stories, Instagram stories. It's whew, it's, it's sweeping the nation right now. And, Was uh, it originally uh, filmed for Facebook Live? No, it wasn't originally filmed for Facebook Live. So the the source of the video actually uh, came from a uh, police officer's uh, body camera, actually. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. it wasn't someone with the cell phone. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't someone with the cell phone. Actually, it was actually someone with. Uh, it was actually another officer who was there when the incident took place, and it was all captured on uh, body camera footage. And actually, the incident happened in July, actually, but the footage didn't get released until last week, actually. Mm. 
So it was a uh, it's pretty pretty intense stuff. So um, basically, yeah, it occurred at yeah University of Utah Hospital. Um, actually, specifically in the burn unit section where uh, a head-on collision had occurred, and um, basically um, on the freeway. Yeah, on the freeway. Actually, right. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Basically, the two people that are in the video are uh, Officer Jeff Payne, I guess, who was a detective, and the nurse that was involved is uh, Alex uh, Wubbles or Wubbles. I'm not really too sure what the uh, explanation of the name is, but basically, uh, the video footage captures the you know Alex, the nurse, being arrested after following hospital protocol uh, in regards to the officer requesting to draw blood from an unco- unconscious patient. Actually, right. so so the police officer wanted the detective wanted a blood sample. Yeah, of the patient. Yeah, and basically, you know, there is the conflict had arised over the officer firmly requesting to get a blood sample without a warrant, um, and also without the patient being, and also with the patient being unconscious. So the officer, you know, basically there was a law that was passed last year in the U.S. Supreme Court that basically if you wanted to, whenever an accident does occur and draw and blood does need to be drawn in these circumstances, uh, you need to be able to first gather a warrant and then also secondly, the patient in which you're trying to draw blood from has to be conscious and also be able to give consent. Mm-hmm. None of those two things occurred. <laughs> Z- zero of those things occurred actually. So if you actually like watch the video, like the nurse is actually pulling up like protocol like paperwork policy mm-hmm. that is essentially explaining this is what we have to do in these circumstances we can't do it because you don't have it and i i guess you know it was just the officer um you know just wanted to, I, I don't know if they wanted to like get shit done or like what needed to occur but uh it, it's kind of preposterous actually and, and right now um, you know, the officer and another authority figure are actually on administrative leave and a criminal investigation is actually under the way because hmm. it went, it went viral and the reaction that it got in social media and the fact that, you know, it kind of put and from a PR perspective, put like the, uh, Utah police actually in a bad position. The chief of police apologized. The district attorney apologized. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people got involved, actually. And even, like, the AANA, which is the American Nurse Association, uh, also got involved as well, too. Which, the ANA, which stands for the American Nurses Association, basically has a code of ethics that they have to follow. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know that, but I, I kind of figured that was the case. Because whenever, you know, patients are involved, um, I'm guessing there is a code of ethics that you would have to follow. I don't know the right. entire the, the nurses have to protect the patient. Yeah, the nurses have to, yeah, exactly. Uh, promote the rights, health, and safety of the patient. That's the essential quote, which, uh, you know, Nurse Alex, you know, did in the video. So, uh, clearly. And basically, yeah, there's a lot of cover- coverage and responses. Uh, the governor, the mayor, chief of police, legal analysts, the DA, uh, you know, all apologize to the nurse. And, yeah, right now... Ultimately, yeah, police officer, the detective involved, is actually on administrative leave, and we don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. Now, who is the patient? Like, and that's why I asked you uh, before we started recording, yeah. because it really, I don't know if it was in the heat of the moment that this police officer reacted. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it looks like, it, but it looks like it was not part of a criminal investigation. It just happens to be a traffic accident. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and the police officer, I guess, wanted blood work to determine if it was a drunk driver involved. Exactly, exactly. Um, so as far as like doing further research on it, that's that's the information that I gathered. I guess the person who was involved um, was actually burned severely to death. Actually, um, oh, the person died. The patient died. He didn't die. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to death, but he was uh, he was burned severely. And turns out the uh, the person was actually an off duty peace officer. Mm-hmm. And he is he has a side job of being a uh, truck driver. So he got involved in an accident, head on collision, thus had to be, you know, raced to the hospital. And you know, I think really just kinda what it comes down I'm not sure if, you know, the officer you know, there was just a lack of critical thinking on his end, or if he was just adrenaline in the moment needed to gather information and just wasn't willing to wait. I mean that's that's from the it's from what I, I got into it. And he didn't really handle himself professionally at all as well, too. Um, you know, but as a person of authority, you know, you have a responsibility um, to essentially act within the rules of the law to protect and serve your community. Because that's what you do. That's, that's what you are as a police officer. You're not, you, you don't have the badge as a license to kill or a license to do whatever you deem fit. You don't get to go rogue, which is exactly what, what he did, which, right. I, I mean, got got this video, you know, so much attention. And, um, it, you know, it, I just, it, it makes me kind of sit to my stomach. It, it, it makes me uneasy. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of ver- further justifies the state in which we're in right now with police and citizens, um, you know, with, I don't really want to get further into it and compare it to like the Black Lives Matter movement, but it just kind of goes to show you that anybody could be a victim of police brutality. You know, I, 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 you know, I sometimes wonder and I speculate like what would be the case if it were a uh, African American nurse. Hmm. You know, like what the headline would read. You know, and if it. Like if the same footage would be captured, or, or like what what the you know outcry would have been, you know, I, I just kind of gets you to kind of think about all those kinds of things, and uh, you know, basically, it just kind of comes down to if someone is providing you information, the nurse in this case is providing you with information on what needs to be done and the next steps that need to be taken. Um, you, regardless if authority figure or not, you need to take that into consideration with what you need to get done. It's just a clear indicator that a situation needs to be taken seriously and the correct neat people need to get involved. Mm-hmm. It, like, I don't know. It's just my take on it all is just the officer is an idiot. He wasn't thinking straight. Glad that he's on administrative leave. Ultimately, what happens to him if he loses his job, which I'm sure with the public outcry and with already how the district of attorney is reacting, the governor, uh, the mayor, uh, the ANA outcry, I think something is going to have to you're going to have to set a precedent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I think he might ultimately lose his job. And I think, you know, he needs I think that should happen actually with as the video you think kinda, he should lose his job yeah it, it it absolutely disgusts me as as a citizen that we entrust these people to protect and serve our community and he did none of those things now yeah i mean i think it's pretty obvious to say that this caught on fast 
on social media. Yeah. This is coming from a nurse. Like, the, the victim here is a nurse, a person of authority, a person who... You, the last person you would think yeah. that a police officer would go after like this. Yeah, would 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 detain and not only detain, but put her in the back of a, 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 a police car for a little bit over an hour or so. Oh, she was released on the scene. Yeah, well, yeah, she was, yeah, she was released on... From what I read, she was released on the scene. Um, okay. So... Ultimately, yeah, the the charges that she was detained for were ultimately dropped, but still. What was it? Obstruction of justice. Yeah, obstruction. Yeah, obstruction of justice, uh, resisting arrest. Um, mm. I just, and it should have never had to have gotten to that point. Mm. I, seriously, like anyone anyone who watches the video, if you haven't watched it yet, or if you have already seen it, I'm sure a majority of Americans. Um, that have watched it probably think to themselves it should have never gotten to that point hmm. ever <laughs> and it's it's is absolutely it's just a it's just another clear indicator of the state in which we are in America and how we communicate with uh the police officers that are paid to protect and serve us and this is just it it just it's scarier and it's makes me a lot more uneasier because i mean ultimately it could happen to anyone <laughs> all right all right chase yeah thank you for stopping by any closing remarks oh man uh well this is uh the end of episode two uh so of uh going viral with uh chase doherty uh i appreciate uh um all, all the listeners and uh and everybody who uh who donates to the uh, podcast <laughs> so uh, i'll be back uh you know be back next month or so or the next uh, few weeks or so to kind of give you guys another uh trending topic that's going viral and uh would love to again hear you guys's feedback on this particular story um uh send uh are you are we sending it to the podcast specifically? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you could also follow me on social media as well, too. Um, my Facebook is uh, Jeffrey Chase Doherty. Uh, my Snapchat is uh, CD Comedian. Uh, and my Instagram is uh, Chase underscore 44. So that's my plug. So, um, no, But yeah. No they, Twitter? Uh, no, no Twitter. Oh. I, I, I should do Twitter. If I'm going to be talking about things going viral, I, I really should do Twitter. <laughs> I don't tweet, man. I, you know, I talk about. I t- I know it's like I talk about things that go viral, uh, and I don't. I don't have a Twitter. Um, but yeah, maybe I should, and maybe ne- next time on episode three, I'll uh, I'll have a Twitter by then, right. and uh, I'll give you my Twitter. But uh, again, uh, I love you guys. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, have a great uh, rest of the day. What did you think? I'd love to know your opinion about this situation. I'm sure we have all seen the video by now. You can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to uh, hear back from you. Whether you agree or do you disagree, do you have a different perspective about the situation? I think there's always something else to learn about it. So again, you can email at jmspodcast at gmail.com and let me know all about it. All right, let's move on to our main interview. Here we interview Amber Victoria Baldwin, again, a good friend of mine. I'm happy to have her here. She is just, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I just can't put it 
the thing is, is that she is one of the first people I befriended in downtown San Jose. I, I came into, uh, I transferred to San Jose State University feeling alone, isolated, and uh, I think uh, once I got into comedy and once I got introduced to the Frascati area, uh, and then, you know, uh, it became essential to become friends with the baristas. And for the longest time, uh, she was the last of the Mohicans uh, as far as the generation of baristas that were there when I started going at Frascati. And so it meant a lot for her to uh, take some time off from her schedule and come around and chat with me. And uh, if you're interested in looking at her stuff, um, you can follow her on Instagram. Just search for AVB Visuals. And I'm sure she has a website as well. We're going to talk about that, so stay tuned for that. But again, another great artist to talk to. Always something to learn. So here we go. Let's go see what Amber Victoria Baldwin is up to. Yeah, man. I can't believe it's September. So, I know, right? I for some reason I totally forgot that uh, the other day I was because I was thinking of Frascati. Yeah. Because I'm coming up to the third year anniversary of comedy for Scotty. Wow, that's crazy. And for some reason I, I I forgot that the month of October even existed. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I realized, I realized, wait, hold my god! Like all this time has passed so fast, and I'm forgetting the months of you exist. Yep, yep. I think I'm going crazy. I totally forgot Lincoln. about May the other day. I was just like in April and June and like <laughs> I totally forgot about the whole month of May. I just skipped over. I was like, that's so quick. Yeah. <laughs> like like I'm starting to think like maybe I'm getting like, you know, early onset Alzheimer's or something. Me or, too. Or, or something it's like okay. that. It's okay. We'll get, we'll have it together. We'll, <laughs> we'll forget <laughs> things together. It's we, fine. We might even forget each other. I don't know. No, I won't forget no, you. I no. promise. <laughs> Amber, I'm so happy you're here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I'm happy because uh, you were one of the first people that I befriended when I started hanging out at Cafe Frascati. Aww. You know, uh, that magical place. I know, that is a magical place. And uh, how you been since, though? Because you no longer work there. You moved on to great and and bigger and better things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. Um, I... What's the question? Sorry. <laughs> wow, we really, you really do have onset. I got it already, yeah. <laughs> I'll be better, okay. No, I'm just asking, how you been these days? I've been good. I've just been uh, working a lot, and it's crazy because somebody asked me how my personal artwork was going the other day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I have to work on that also. Like, Because, <laughs> you know, now that I'm a, I'm a product designer and I do that all the time, my personal... It's like... Having another part-time job and a full-time job. Like, I have right. to focus so hard, so much extra harder now on my own artwork than I ever did in the past because I have to make sure that I continue to do it even mm. when I don't want to because I'm tired of working 40 to 60 hours a week, you know? So That's something else good. I'm dealing with recently. Yeah. Because when we were both in, at San Jose State, you know, for some reason I've always fitted in my creative stuff right yeah like i just put yeah. it in as part of the schedule exactly so oh, i got class later mm -hmm. on so i could do this and be whatever yeah but now that i've graduated and now that i got a full-time job and now i'm like mm -hmm. working 40 to 50 hours a week yeah. i get exhausted oh yeah like, like the last thing i want to do is is sit down and write a script or something yeah I, I feel the same way like i was thinking about it the other day about how 
Like, I used to put the same amount of hours into going to school than I do now currently working. But for some reason, when I was going to school, I had so much more time yeah. <laughs> to do all my stuff than and I energy. do now. Yeah. And, like, you know, I had I had class... Well, for, for my past three years in college, I had class only two days a week. But I had homework all the time. And I probably worked on homework the days that I didn't have class the same amount that I would have been in class, you know? So, like, it was the the same amount of time. I don't know how I produced so much art during that time because I can't do it now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same exact way. It's like, man, my, the amount of content I'm putting out there is less. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. Yeah. But, uh, so you haven't been working on your personal art lately? I've been trying. I've been like, I, I it's less, but I'm still doing it. I'm yeah. trying super hard. I've recently da- been dabbling in uh, wood burning. Oh. Um, I bought a couple rocking chairs like months back and I was like, I'm going to wood burn these. I'm going to, I bought them at Goodwill. And just now, like, is wood burning is you're burning it a, sp- a specific design into it? Yeah. So or? it's like a, it's a hot tool and you just like, and you, you put it on the wood and it makes it darker. And it, 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 since it's a hot tool, you can like change the edges. Like I'm just dabbling in it, so I don't really know a lot about it. But um, there's like a burn tool and like a slice tool and like a carve tool and like. Are you using like a little propane thing? Like it's for not the fire? propane. It's just it's basically like a curling iron. Oh. Yeah. So okay. that, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Cool. What, what made you get into that? Well, well, the reason why I got into this was because um, my boyfriend last year for my birthday, JMO, JMO, <laughs> he bought me a rocking chair because I really wanted one. I really wanted a rocking chair. How did chair. you really want a rocking chair? Because my family has this rocking chair that's been passed down for generations and generations. And every time somebody gets the rocking chair, they put their name and the date they got it on underneath. They carve it in there. How long has this family tradition been happening? Um, my great-great-grandmother first had the chair. And now my parents have the chair. And I've put in my name. I'm like, I'm getting that chair next. Is, like, it, is it a durable chair? It is. Like, it's just... like, it's a really creaky, thick rocking chair. It's like, it's not a typical rocking chair that you would think. Like, it doesn't have, like, the rounded corners. It's like a square. It's like a wide square chair. Handmade? Yeah. Wow. Um. So, it's really cool. And so, I wanted to start my own tradition. Like, I wanted to start my own rocking chair and see how long it goes. Like, I, I wanted to acquire my parents and then I wanted to start my own. Uh-huh. And so, um, JMO bought me the rocking chair and... And then I was like, well, I need to carve the date in it. And then it took me so long to get the carving kit to, yeah. to put the date in it. But I, and I still haven't done it. Like I bought the, I bought the kit and I still have not put the date in the chair. But <laughs> <laughs> How far back does your family go living here in, in the South Bay uh, or in, in the United States? I think that we've, um, cause you got Irish backgrounds, right? Yeah, I got Irish backgrounds. Is background. it full Irish? Are you full Irish? Uh, I'm not full Irish, but my granddad was and then my mom's side is mostly Scottish um so so I'm like mostly Scottish and Irish I just one sea away yeah <laughs> just one sea away we just hopped over just one swim away but I'm pretty sure that um because my my family ancestry that's my, my grandpa's really into it he went all through and like did our whole history and I guess where we really started was when like my great 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 grandparents were twins that married twins. So Hillis and Willis married Nora and Zora. Whoa. And then our whole family happened. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. I know, it's weird. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Twins marrying twins. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> 
And like nobody who's had twins in the family since. Isn't that weird? Well, I, think, like, I, think, I think they just canceled they each just other canceled out. They just canceled it out, yeah. I think the genes canceled themselves out at that point. <laughs> they were so con- like confused. They're like, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, any any of your parents were artists? Like, how were you introduced to art? Well, um, my mom was really creative growing up. Um, she, I wouldn't... I wouldn't consider her an artist. She doesn't consider herself an artist, but she used to do a lot of like scrapbooking and stuff and unlike stamps. Remember when stamps were really in, like they would do these really pretty things with stamps. My mom was really into stamps. My aunt was really into stamps. They both were really into scrapbooking. And like growing up, anytime I had a school project, my mom would help me and my project would be like the best in the class because my mom was so creative and would be like, this will look really good. And she would like help me do it. And like, even in college, I was, I, I called my mom one day and I was like, I had this project and like, I would not be where I am today if it weren't for you and that incentive to like make my project the best way I can. <laughs> so she reinforces great uh, artistic work ethic yeah, into you? Yeah, she did. Like, a she, creative work ethic? Yeah. And it was, um, I think a lot of it also was, I think I had the creative gene in me because of my mom, but then also growing up and... <laughs> having to be resourceful also help with it like um not having like just endless money to just go and buy myself all the tools i needed i would have to figure out how i could make this effect with what i had ah. yeah well then i work where your parents did so my my mom currently is a school teacher but that happened only like three years ago um before that my parents owned a book publishing company called uh, Bookstand Publishing, and so my mom was like the cover girl. Like she would make, that's how I got- That's super creative and artistic, what? (laughs) That's actually how I got into Photoshop and Illustrator and like that graphic design life because my mom was the cover girl and I was currently learning Photoshop in high school and so then that's how I got my in is like I would help my mom learn Photoshop and like learn all this stuff, so So they they owned a bookstore or just a publishing? It's just a publishing company. Agency. Yeah, so we, they- um, What was it it called? It's called Bookstand Publishing. Bookstamps. Yeah, Bookstand. Bookstand. Yeah, with a D, yeah. Where's it based out of? So it's based out of Morgan Hill. I think that's where our box, our mail selection is. Um, my dad and my mom run it out of the house for years. We had an office for a few years, but right now um, it's it's getting smaller. My dad just got another job, so they ran it for about 10 years. They're still running it. It's just, like, not as big as it used to be. Right, because, you know, more people are, are, are resorting to e-books or, right. or stuff like well, that, and like which for, is a shame. For a long time, that was the advantage of our company was that we we made it so that you owned your own book and had the rights to your own book even and then we would just edit it and help you sell it and get it into stores but it wasn't like we were taking the way of your rights which is a lot of those publishing companies out there now yeah so um but now you know the economy is not that great nobody has money or time to write a book well (laughs) it's such a, a peculiar industry to get involved in it was my dad's dream. My dad is loved he a, that. Is he a writer? My dad's not a writer. Uh, he just loves to read. He, he's a reader. <laughs> also an editor? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say editor. I don't even think he likes to correct stuff. I think that he just likes to read books. <laughs> wow. Like when I was growing up, we had like a huge library that like floor to ceiling shelves of all my dad's books. And like, I would ask my dad, like, have you read all these? He'd be like, yes, I, I have. <laughs> Wow, so so this is a, a fascinating background you have. Because <laughs> early on, you you were pretty much um, taught the appreciation of others' creative works. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
But when did you start taking it seriously? At what point were you like, because I know you're the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. You got sisters under you. Yes. Um, and usually in high school, were you involved in arts as well? I was. I was really involved. In, I was always a creative kid. Like, I always liked to draw and stuff. And when I was, like, in seventh grade, I told my parents I wanted to be a fashion designer because I love to just draw people, and uh-huh. like, in dresses and stuff. But um, when I got to high school, that's when I learned Photoshop and Illustrator and graphic design. So that's when I was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Like, Was there a class in that? Or was yeah, it, just... it was. I, I was accidentally placed in a digital photography class. And honestly, I did not pick that elective. I did not want to be in it, but I was too lazy to transfer out that I just decided to stay. Yeah, and then it. I guess I'll stick around. my whole life. <laughs> Yeah, I tell everybody that, and they're just like, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> so, so you're taking this digital photography class. What about it attracts it? Well, makes it attracting to you? I think, honestly, the very first time that I decided that I really liked it was when my teacher told me that I was really good at it and that I needed to focus more. Because I was just, like, in it. I was just taking photos and submitting them, and my teacher would be like, Amber, this is really good. And then I'd continue to do it and then she'd be like this is really good but you need to do this more and then I would just submit stuff and she'd be like okay you're really good like she would shake me and she'd be like you're really good focus on this (laughs) like you have the eye for photography and you're just abusing it like people are not born with this Uh Uh, like a lot of people aren't just born with this so just like you need to cultivate this and learn how to do it more and so then I was like okay and then I was like, I must be good at this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try harder. And then when I tried harder, I loved it. What kind of stuff were you taking pictures of? Um, it was always people from the beginning. I was always taking portraits of people, always taking candids of people laughing. Like that was from the beginning. It was always people. Hmm. Yeah. Is there like a peculiar way you like photographing people? I like, like for example, for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, because you photograph too. Right. Well, but I didn't really take it seriously until recently. Mm-hmm. And that's only because, you know, I'm trying to, you know, not lose my filmmaking chops. Right, right. Uh, but I keep saying that word, by the way, for me, for me. But what <laughs> I'm saying, and what I mean by that, because I know when I like to photograph people, I like them to photograph them, like, either doing something or, or in the middle of, of a movement. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not too much of them, like, hey, strike a pose. Yeah, yeah. I'm more of like, hey, keep working on that. And let me take mm-hmm. a couple of pictures of, of you doing that. Or are you the same way, or do you feel it's different? My main focus is, like, people in their element. So I love making people laugh. I love that. I think that that I try Should have been a comedian. <laughs> well... Get every opportunity working up for Scotty <laughs> to do stand-up. Oh, you, you did stand-up once. I did it on my last day. I did yeah. stand-up. <laughs> so um, you like people... You like making people laugh. Yeah. That, I mean, that's... I love having just a good time with people. And, like, my, my sister, she, Isabella, she's a photographer, too. And it's so funny because we'll go to family events and my parents will ask us to take the photos. And my sister and I will just be there and we'll be like, okay, now pretend that you're laughing. And people just look at each other. And I'm like, really? And then because it's a weird question, they actually start laughing. And then people are like, wow, these turned out really good. And we're like, it's our trick. Like, we're always like, pretend that you're laughing and just see what happens. <laughs> so so you, you love taking pictures of people laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? I think, I just, I love seeing people have a good time, like, especially when they're hanging out with me. Like, I love, I like to provide that good time and good experience because especially, like, a lot of people are not comfortable in front of the camera. Like, people is a pretty hard subject because you have self-conscious issues, then you have, like, oh, I look, I look bad, like, 
So when you can't use that, (laughs) I get that sometimes. Yeah. And so they'll use that one when, yeah, don't use that one. Or can you fix this? Can you make me look skinnier? Like, Oh, you're a Photoshop whiz. Just make me look good. And like, so when you can take a genuine picture of somebody having like being in their complete natural state of just laughing, you know, you can't even control what you look like when you're laughing. Right. Mm -hmm. So to take a picture of somebody laughing, everybody loves it. Everybody's like, Oh, I'm having such a good time. Like I look, Everybody thinks they look good when they laugh. So it, it means that it was a good photo. If you like it, then it's a good photo. <laughs> so you're taking this digital photography class. You're getting mm-hmm. a lot of you know support mm-hmm. from your teacher. Did you really want to take it seriously at that point? Or did you had to you know, consider other things before? I think what happened then was I really was fascinated by Photoshop. And that's when I started taking it really seriously. Like I enjoyed photography, it was fun, but then when I learned Photoshop, I was like, this, I can do this my whole life. The manipulation of images. And like not even, it was more than that because I would would go home after school and like sit in front of the computer and learn on my own new Photoshop techniques that I was not learning in class. And you know, like my best friend and I would sit on our lunch break and just be like, oh, let's learn more Photoshop stuff. Like we were so into it. So, oh my, that's so cute. It was, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's what made me really serious about it was because, I mean, Photoshop really was the beginning of so many worlds for me because it could help my photography my and it brought me into this whole world of graphic design. Hmm. So, But you weren't painting at this time. I was not painting. Painting was actually my most recent endeavor. Wow. I started painting about four years ago. Okay. Yeah. This, this is not go there yet. Okay. <laughs> So, so here you are just studying the shit out of Photoshop, mm. loving it. You graduate from high school. What was the plan? My plan was to go to, my plan always from the beginning was to go to San Jose State for graphic design. Why San Jose State? Because San Jose State had a really good graphic design program and it was close to home and it was where I wanted to live. And I was like, and I knew I would get in because I was a private school girl. I knew I'd get in. Yeah. It was easy yeah. and it's where I wanted to be. So that was the only school I applied to. Okay. How'd that work out? It went really well. I got in and I was like, okay, I knew I'd get in. And then I, um, and then I worked really, really hard to try to get into the BFA program at San Jose State for, um, graphic design. Okay. Cause the BFA program was like a special program. You, you entered in as, um, as no major. And then you had to declare your major by second year and you have to declare as design studies. Then you have to do two years of design studies before you apply for the BFA program. And then if you get in, it's another two years. So it was a really prestigious program. At what point did you start working at for Scotty? I started working at for Scotty when I was a June, no, a sophomore. It was the summer so of my sophomore year in Second college. year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you, and by then were you painting? No. Still not painting. <laughs> so how did you get involved with painting? I took a painting class my junior year. Uh, so my third year in college, I took a painting class and it was the same thing. My teacher was like, you're good at this. You need to focus on this. And I was like, oh, well, I like it. So that sounds like a good idea. And it's a good outlet for me because it was so different than graphic design. Cause you've seen my style with painting. It's um, abstract, it's emotional expressionism. It's completely the opposite of graphic design. (laughs) Did you enjoy abstract art before you started doing abstract? I was always interested in in the look of it because, you know, because I was a design studies major, I had to really learn the 
the history behind graphic design, which starts a lot in like Renaissance time and like posters and paintings and photography, the history of photography, because I studied that too, like started with painting. Like the reason why people wanted to photograph was painting. So I had to learn a lot about the history of painting. And I found myself drawn to all of the abstract expressionism, all of um, like my favorite artist was um, William, William Turner, that paint, that mm. painter. He, oh, his stuff is so great because he has like the skill to be a realist painter, but he chooses to be expressionistic, which is like, I think that's great. Like when you have all the skills and you choose to be a certain way, instead of just painting abstract because you don't know how to paint realism. <laughs> Which a lot of people do. It's so surprising. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I had a teacher that shook me awake and was like, hey, you have the eye. You know color really well. You have this background. You should pursue this because I think you'd be good at it. And I was like, okay. So I did. <laughs> I'm sure. Did your family support you in that decision? Um, My family has never been unsupportive, but they have definitely questioned being an artist as a career. Yeah. <laughs> but they've never really been unsupportive. Like, they've never been like, I can't believe you're doing that. But they've been like, well, you did go to school for art. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I remember when, once your, um, was it your thesis exhibition? Oh, at yeah. Sunday State? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm where I was really impressed in how you combined both photography and art. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was the name of the exhibition? It's called Touch. Touch. Yeah. Okay, can you let me know how that, that idea came to you? So, I mean, photography was always where I started, right? And painting is, I feel like, kind of where I've ended. Not ended, but like, kind of ended. That's where I am now. So like, full circle, kind of. Okay. And so I chose to take pictures of people um, because I love touching lives when I'm taking photographs. Like I love conversating and like talking and like making sure that they're comfortable and like really capturing the emotion and their personality in a photograph. And painting is similar to me in that way because it's my emotional expression from like what I'm going through and what I feel like doing. And so to put them together, like to paint an abstract painting about this person that I'm photographing and having them relate through color was, there was a great experience for me to relate that because I decided to do it without realizing the similarities. Yeah. I was like, I just wanna combine these. I feel like I need to figure out how to combine these because they're my favorite things. How can I mix them together? <laughs> and that's what I came up with. Because that, that was a big risk, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming first you did the canvas with the photo photograph, mm -hmm. and you had to paint over it. Yeah, yeah. So then that that was a big risk because I had to order the pictures printed on canvas to my house, and so if I messed up the painting, yeah. then I would have to order another one, and it was on time constraints because I had my BFA project in October, and we started school in August. And I couldn't get in to the, to the um, photography studio to photograph these people until school started, which means I had to do this from August to September because I had to have all of the painting, all of the canvases delivered to paint on so they could dry in time for my show <laughs> before October. So I was like, I had everything planned to the T. Like I was like, no, if you're late, then I can't shoot you. I'll shoot someone else. Like, yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. You're also very much involved with the local art community here. Mm -hmm. uh, you, numerous times you had a booth at the art festival, mm -hmm. at the art walks. How'd you get involved in that? Honestly, through Cafe Frascati. Yeah. Um, it, 
Cafe Briscotti cultivates artists that are all so friendly and like interested in other people's ideas that just from working there I acquired so many people that like I could relate to and understood and was excited about my art and I was excited about theirs you know it became a real community for me mm. so the more I talked to the customers the more I hung out there the more people got to know me and the, they would ask me to be in shows like that so that's really where I got my start is like being a barista at Cafe for Scotty and having people be like hey Amber you're an artist right you do graphic design you photograph people like why don't you do this are you interested in doing this do you charge and like that's really how my business started was because I had all these people that needed my resources and wanted me to be a part of that community so yeah that place has a has a, a thing of creating opportunities mm-hmm Oh, it really does. Pro- yeah. Private me provided me with a lot of opportunities. Oh yeah, like pe- that's actually the question I get the most is like, how did you get your start? And I'm like, honestly, by being a barista in a creative community, like <laughs> everybody talks, everybody knows you, and they just they want to be involved. Now, prior to getting involved like that, did you uh, did you show your art to to others, or was it more you did art for as assignments? Mm, at first I was doing arts for assignments and then I wanted to travel to Scotland and raise money for my trip right so Cafe for Scotty was my first show actually Robertino had that all women's art show and he heard that I had painted because we talked about it and he asked me to be in it so I did and then that was where everything took off like I painted so much and I sold so much at that show that it really gave me a confidence boost like I was like wow like people like my art this is great that makes me happy I want to do it more so then when I went traveling in Scotland I was like so much more inspired because I was supported back home and people were like watching me and like wanting to see what I was doing because they had helped support me. So I had like this community of people that were proud of me mm-hmm. and that made me want to do even better things. It inspired me to do even more. So how was that trip to Edinburgh? Oh, it was amazing. It's my happy place. I mean, anytime I am like down, I'm like, oh, because Edinburgh is, is is one of the more artistic areas of Scotland, right? Yeah, there's um there's an artist community there. There's beautiful art shops over there, and the greenery is amazing. Like even in the city, like the city is beautiful, and the and the highlands are beautiful. Like everywhere is just so beautiful. They're so pretty, like old school cobblestone. Yeah, stuff. it's crazy. Everything is so old. Like everything there is older than everything in America. <laughs> that's that's right. You're right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you go to Scotland. You have an amazing time. You come back. What were the goals then? Uh, when I came back, I, my goal was to finish school because um, part of the reason why I went to Scotland was because I did not get into the BFA program at San Jose State, the one that I had tried so hard to get into. I applied twice and they didn't let me in. So it was like devastating to me and I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do so I should travel I wasn't gonna be able to travel if I got into the BFA program and now I'm not in the BFA program so I might as well travel so that's why I decided like one of the deciding factors was because of the BFA program to go to Scotland so then I came back and my goal was to finish my degrees because by that point, I had decided I was going to have two majors now, one in design studies and one in photography. Right. And so um, my goal was to just finish my degree and get everything done and squared away so that I could start my life. That's how I felt. <laughs> and do my own art and not for school. Hmm. Yeah. Now, how was it selling art at these art walks? 
Did you feel like it was, it was like a different dynamic you wasn't used to, where you got like just like a group of people swarming? I think the hardest thing for me was figuring out how to price my art. Because in the beginning, my very first show, everything was really cheap. I was more concerned with people wanting to buy my stuff than paying the price for my stuff. You know, I, I just wanted people to be interested in the beginning. And they were, and I sold so much. But then it was like, wow, everybody likes my stuff. I should up my prices. But then I had to think, should I up my prices because I want to up my prices? Or should I up my prices because I think I'll make more money? Like, why Why do I want to up my prices? And so I had, I decided on a formula that I was going to do. And I was like, how much do I feel like my work, my work is an hour? And how much time am I spending on each piece? And then I come up with a number and then I'm like, do I really think that this item is worth this number? And so that's how I priced all my stuff. And um, some of it was too expensive. Some of it was, didn't get purchased. And I think the other thing was I had a lot of friends and family who wanted to be supportive and wanted to buy my art, which is great. Like, that's what I needed in the beginning. But by then, I was like, I'm established now. People know me. I have a website. Like, I don't want my family and friends to buy my art just because they're supportive. I want a stranger to buy my art because they like it, you know? You want actual clients. Yeah, I want actual clients. I want people who just see me and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to have this. I love it. And I really got that when I did like Sub-Zero stuff, um, especially because like that was such a bigger crowd. But in the beginning, it was just my friends and family. But, um, but yeah. And most recently, you did another thing that was quite risky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your paintings. Where, where, I mean, it was quite an eccentric decision. Yeah. But, man, you got balls. <laughs> you decided to do a blackout, which is pretty much you were going to uh, take one of your paintings and you were just going to paint it entirely black. Yes. And. I figured, like, maybe, you know, in your studio. But, no, you did this in front of people yeah. out in the art walk. <laughs> like, you're like, here's my art. Buy it. If you don't buy it by this time, I'm just going to paint black all over it. <laughs> what were you thinking when you were coming up with that idea? So, the main reason why I decided to do that was because when I got this job in product design, I felt like my whole view on painting changed. Because now I'm not painting for me. Now I'm not painting because I want to express myself. I'm painting because I want other people to buy it and mass produce it, which is not how I started. So everything is just totally flip-flop. Like now I feel like I'm painting for the public, not for me. So that was, that was a big change. And I feel like I view painting differently because I can't get this idea of, well, what do stores want to put in? Like, what do stores want to buy from me? Like, how do I get that out of my brain? Like, I'll be painting and I'm like, nope, nobody's going to want to put this on their wall. And I'll just stop and uh -huh. like throw it away. And so I felt like... It became a, a business related. Yeah, it became stuff. so business related. And like, not that it's a bad thing. Like, I obviously, I love my job, but it's, it's, it's definitely hindered my painting a lot because I just can't get this product design out of my head. So um, that was the main reason why I decided to do this blackout because I would look at all of my old paintings and I would just be sad that I can't make this anymore. And I felt like, the, and the other thing was, you know, I plan to move in the next couple years and I have so much artwork and I have a really sweet deal where I'm living right now. And anywhere I move from now on is not gonna be as good as where, or as large as where I live now. So I'm gonna need to downsize. and. 
So, and I'm, I need to pressure my audience to buy my paintings because I don't know what I'm going to do with them if I, if I can't, if I can't sell them, you know? So at least if I can't sell them, then there'll be black canvases that I can start fresh on. <laughs> so, so there was a lot that went into this. And so, yeah. and like, I remember telling my friends and they were just like, Amber, that's so crazy. Like, this is, you're destroying your work. And I was like, it needs to happen. I was so set. I was like, it needs to happen. You need, need to, to <laughs> you need to burn down your forest for a new forest to grow. Exactly. Like, that's really how I felt. I was really like, I need to have no old work in yeah. order to embrace this new type of painting that I, that my mind is creating, you know? But I was definitely in my studio yesterday and I was like, I can't believe I destroyed all my work. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was like, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> now, you brought up a, a, an interesting notion there where you're in product design. So when you're on that, you're, you're thinking of like, what is it that a consumer wants mm -hmm. in this piece? And it's interesting because it's so subjective, but yet I guess there's a science behind it, you know? Like, yeah. I, I guess a lot of it has to do with what mood or emotions a certain color or design can be expressed if someone's uh, you know shopping somewhere yeah no it's um it's it's crazy because the I get a lot of well how do you feel Amber now that you mass produce crap art <laughs> and like it's not a bad question like I mean I technically I make art that goes in stores that everybody buys and is on everybody's walls and it's quite a lucrative market but is it it's not really crap art if everybody buys it right so it's very subjective. It is like exactly to, to some, yeah. it, it would be it's amazing art. Mm -hmm. To others, maybe not not so much. But I think it's interesting is like you have that and you're battling that, and then you have this other side of you of like what art means to me, and that's your personal paintings. Right. And it goes back to what you were saying about the uh, about Turner. Is here's a guy that could do all kinds of things, you know, a, a brilliant painter, mm -hmm. but he chooses to do a certain kind of abstract art right. that speaks to him. It's so hard to do. Like, I, I admire William Turner so much for being able to do that. And I wish that I knew him in person so that I could talk to him more about it. But it's just... Well, do you feel like you're developing your voice through your art? Do you think your voice... Your, your, I say voice because I talk to comedians and musicians. Mm -hmm. But I think even artists have a certain voice with their work. Oh, yeah. Like, like a distinct... Sorry, like a distinct, you know, style. Mm -hmm. that when you look at a painting, it's like, oh, that's an that's an amber picture, like mm -hmm. painting. Yeah, do, I, do you feel like, do you feel like that that's happening, or do you feel you still have a, a bit more to go? I feel like um, for me, my painting is so emotional. So because of that, it's ever changing, right? Like, I feel like I really had a style two years ago, and now I'm in a different place in life and I've kind of lost it because I've been working in product design. So now it's changing. And I think I'm still in that changing phase. Like once I get my grip on it again, I'm gonna have a totally different body of work. And I think that's also why I blacked out so much of my paintings because I, it was like a chapter ended. Like I can't paint, I can't, it's not that I can't paint this way anymore, but like I don't wanna paint this way anymore. It's like a book ended. Yeah. And you want to tell a different story. Right, exactly. Except you decided to burn the, the book that you wrote before. <laughs> okay, but also people bought my paintings before I blacked over them, so I really only blacked out a couple. <laughs> well, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I feel like that with music and in comedy. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like 
And thing is, the in between. I don't know for you, but for me, the in between time of that changes mm-hmm. sucks. Like, yeah, you feel so shitty. Oh, I'm. Uh, that's right? how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Like I'm like I'm just saying the same old jokes. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing the same old songs. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I have to take a little break. Sometimes I have to work on other things. Then out of the blue, like I just I I, I catch on to this wave of, of mm-hmm. a different style or of a different a theme to tackle, and then I go from there. Mm-hmm. And then again, another break, another. So, so you, right now you're in, in the in between stage. Yeah, that's what I would say. I'm definitely in an in between stage. You know, I've only been at my new product design job for eight months now, and I haven't painted that whole time because I've been so busy working. Like I've been trying to paint. How about photography? My camera broke. Oh no! I know. What kind of camera did you have? I had a Nikon D5100, so Nikon. it's, it's You're like... You're a pro. I, I can't do Nikons. <laughs> a Canon is better, honestly. Now that I've worked with Canon so much, I want to switch over. Well, I, I feel Canon for a variety... Like I think Canon, is, it's it's good if you're doing more than just pictures. Mm-hmm. I think if you're doing video yeah. or stuff. It, it's, but I feel the quality of a Nikon in, in someone who is experienced could do like amazing stuff. Right. I think I think Canon's like a good people like I don't know a good mm-hmm. jump start. Well, when I started in photography in high school, I had a I, I was using the school's Nikon, and then when I got to college, everybody was using the school's Canon, and so then it was nice that I had both of those because now I get to decide which one I like better. Mm-hmm. So I think that my next investment will be a Canon, mm-hmm. but it's just hard because I have all the lenses that fit a Nikon. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm still battling, but honestly, I'm <laughs> yeah. still saving up for that new camera. So, because my my camera was a 2011 Nikon, it's pretty old. Like mm. it's it's not in good shape. I could go get it repaired, but it it's still old. Have you considered working with film? I've worked with film a lot actually. And in, in college, I had because I was a f- photography major, I had to take a lot of black and white classes and work in the dark room and things like that. And um, I love film photography. Being in that dark room and developing photos made me a better photographer it really did and I love that but that's also a whole nother venture like if I'm really gonna get into that then I need to turn my painting studio into a dark room because <laughs> I don't know how you can it's it's difficult when you've been on the side of developing your own photos to then go ask somebody to develop them for you especially when you have your own style mm. yes yeah I'm, I haven't gone like I love black and white photography mm-hmm. but I'm not on the film level yet mm-hmm I much rather Photoshop them. Honestly, like white. it's a it's an area that a lot of people skip when they get into photography nowadays. I mean, you don't need it, you don't. But it's great to know the history, especially because I just think it's fascinating that the tools in Photoshop are named after darkroom tools. How so? Like the dodge and burn tool yeah. in Photoshop. Dodging and burning is a darkroom technique that you use in the darkroom. Burning is when you make an area. Like when you put the light on an area in the dark room so much that it like lightens mm. and dodging. Oh, maybe I have it backwards. Oh, I hope I don't have it backwards. Um, but yeah, burning and dodging is lightening and darkening areas of photos. And you can easily do that in Photoshop, but in the dark room, it's a whole process. But the tool was made from that technique in the dark room. 
Yeah, even in Photoshop, I'm not. The, the less I do with a with an image, the better. Mm-hmm. Like once it gets you know getting fancy, I can't do that. Yeah, right. it's crazy because you know I've always believed that. I believe like I've taken some photos have been like it's perfect. I don't need to do anything to it. But then you take a class on photography and they tell you things like every photo needs to be sharpened, and you're like, really? Do I have to? <laughs> do I have to do that to every single photo I take? Because that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, so right now you're just going like you're just waiting on that wave. I am. I'm and I've realized that having a bunch of black canvases is kind of limiting. Like I know I'm going to use them, but it's so hard when I'm like trying to start over with my painting and I then I'm like I have an idea and I go to paint and then I realize that I have to paint on a black canvas because I painted over all my work and now I have to paint over this black canvas. Why did you choose black and not white? Because I was afraid that you would see the old art come oh, through and black was like an easy, um, like you wouldn't be able to see anything. Although for some of the black canvases I have, I've repainted them white. <laughs> oh, well that makes sense. Yeah. Actually, I was just about to suggest that. Yeah. So now that they're black, I've started to repaint some of them white. The problem is that I paint with a lot of texture, so the texture is always going to show through. like. Mm-hmm. So every old painting will show through on the top with the texture. That's something else I don't really think about it with art is texture. Mm-hmm. Is is how, how do you how do you even start with texture? Texture is my best friend. That's actually why one of the reasons why I called my project for my BFA touch, because I love to touch things. I love to touch things. I'll like go into stores and I'll just like I just want to touch everything. And so when my painting is done and it's dry, I want to want to touch it. You know what I mean? Like. I like all the, I, I feel like a lot of emotion is through texture. Like when I like just really put this giant paint stroke on it and it's like so much thicker than everything on the page. Like when I run my hand over that when it's dry, it's going to feel so cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me that. I remember you're like, yeah, Hori, touch my painting. I'm like, no, I'm not going to touch your painting. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's the whole point. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> I guess convention, you know, in museums, they tell not to touch the painting, mm-hmm. not do that. But in your case, you're, you want people to touch your yeah. painting. I mean, I understand why people are like, don't touch my painting. Because the oils of your hand can alter the how long your painting lasts. I mean, that's why you're not supposed to touch anything in museums. But I just, I hate putting that limitation on things. Because I want to touch everything. So you can totally touch my art. Everybody can touch my art. Please touch my art. It looks like you can touch it. So please touch my art. <laughs> what if you're like, you're like... Like, I don't I just imagine you in a museum <laughs> trying so hard self-control. Yeah, it really... just jumping over and, like, touching... That's so true. Like, there have been times where... Well, especially because oil painting, which is what I use, is so ancient. Like, that's what everybody used back in the day. That was basically... Like, acrylic is new. Acrylic, watercolor, very new in really? the painting world. Yeah. Okay. Like, oil is ancient like this is like right after fresca like it's it's super ancient so like I'll go into art museums and know and can see that they're using oil paints and I want to touch them so that I know how to use them does that make sense like <laughs> and I'll, like there have been time there museum Whoa. people yeah don't worry it's, it's just the headphones oh okay museum people have literally been like ma'am do not touch the artwork yeah Oh, so you, you've actually managed to touch? Yes, because, like, I'm so curious sometimes that I'm like, just let me touch it real quick. Like, I'll just touch it, and then I'll leave, and then I'll know th- what it feels like. <laughs> Do you have any particular museums you like visiting? 
I mean, San Francisco is close, so I go there a lot. I go to like the MoMA, the MoMA, and um, I've yet to go there. Yeah, there it's a, it's it's a great place um, because Mo- I can touch their art without them knowing. Um, <laughs> it's too big. It's so big that not everybody's watching me, and they don't have like ropes around their paintings. Like sometimes you'll turn a corner and it's just like there's a painting. I'm like, oh, I touched it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you hope to get your art in a museum? Of course, that's the goal, right? For every artist, getting getting your work in a museum? I, yes. I mean, yes, that is the goal for every artist. But my goal is more, like, I really want to be part of the history of art. Like, Oh, you want to be in the books. I do. I really want to be in the history books. Like, I really want my kids to go to art school and then be like, Mom, I read about you in school today. Like, not me, but, like, be part of at least a movement. Like, like, for example, like, I really feel like working in product design, especially with the mass production of art these days, that that is the new phase of art. You know, like Hmm. we talk about movements and like the Dada movement and cubism movement and emotional expressionism movement. Like those are movements that people were part of that they didn't even know they were part of, you know. And like now we've reached a new age where technology is taking over and we're mass producing the same art over and over and over again. Like that has not been around long enough to be written about. Right. That's fairly new. That's in the last 50 years. The The idea that an art piece can be replicated for like thousands of yes. hundreds of people. Yeah, and like mass produced and sold at like a lower value. Like, you know, like this whole market of mass producing things is new. Like mm. that's like less than fi- like 50 to 100 years old. You know, that's like, that's a pretty new thing. Um, so I think that it's so cool that art has reached that point and it's gonna be in history books someday. Like now, how the world of art has changed because of that. Does that does that also change the uh, the notion of ownership of an artist and their pieces? It definitely does. Like all the copyright laws are way different than they used to be. How so? Like, for example, we have things like Shutterstock and and um, all those. I use Shutterstock at work, so that's the only one I can think of where people are putting their artwork online and you're purchasing it online so that you can use it for advertising in another image to sell to a store to mass produce like like this is a photo bank of artists that you can purchase from and use them however you want Hmm. like that's that's a whole new world like that's like within the last 20 years I see what you're saying now. So, like, that's a whole different world of copyright, you know? Like, these people right. are signing away their rights, like, kind of signing away their rights. So, They're like, I made this, and now everyone can use it. So, what's also changing is the idea of collaboration. The yeah. fact that you could collaborate with someone artistically without ever even seeing them. Yeah. But just putting your, your art online and having someone else, you know, add things to it. Mm-hmm. But, again, does that change the ownership? Like, do you, at that point, do you even own that art anymore? No. Um, there, I don't exactly know the particulars of this kind of copyright law, but I do know that if you purchase an image under certain circumstances, right? Like, there's different levels of purchasing. Like, you can purchase all the rights. You can purchase the use. You can purchase a one-time use. You know, you can purchase all those things. And that artist gets paid that's, that sold you this stuff. But if you alter that image to where it's completely different, 
then, I mean, you've paid that artist once, you know, you've used that image, you've purchased it, it's yours now and you can do whatever you want with it. And now you can use this piece of art that you've fully purchased and change it and do whatever you want with it and use it in so much stuff that is unrecognizable. Yeah. Like that's, it's no longer their art, it's your art. Yeah, because it's somewhere with music now. Mm -hmm. These days you can put a song out there, some DJ across the world can take it and, and create his own, you know, song yeah. with remix or whatever. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think about that stuff. I'm like, mm -hmm. Jesus. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. But then yeah. again, it's like so a lot of people embrace it. So, so a lot you of know, and I feel myself caught between the two. Like I feel like you know, being an artist myself and being like, this is my work, and I don't want to put it online because I don't want people to take it. Because I'm also a product designer who takes a lot of people's work and uses it for my own art, <laughs> for my own work at work. You know. Right. I mean, I don't take. I purchase it like professionally but but still like right <laughs> it's this i mean i do both so i understand both <laughs> yeah. now you like you said you want to be part of history you want to be you know in the forefront of a movement mm -hmm. and it seems like like you mentioned even before how you'd like uh really getting involved with people's lives and really mm -hmm. being a joyful part of someone's life right where do those feelings come from like this idea of of, of wanting to be known or validated or, or something like that? Well, that's a hard question. Um, I think that, I, I think, I mean, you know me, I'm a really happy person. Yeah. And like, I like to make other people happy because I feel like, I don't, I don't really have an answer for you here. I think that this is a part of who I am. And the reason why I like it is because it makes me feel good when other people feel good. Well, I think what I'm asking here is why, why are you so happy? Why, why what's your secret? <laughs> um, I, I'm just a positive person because I think that when you choose to have a negative attitude, you're welcoming negative things. So when you're a positive person and you choose to have a positive attitude, you're welcoming positive things. It's all about like energy and things. Like I'm positive and I'm happy and I want to make everybody else happy. I want to make you feel better even when you're down because that's welcoming happiness and good vibes. It's so exhausting sometimes. <laughs> it is. It's Isn't very it? exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of days where I just sit at home alone because I can't, I don't have the energy to go out and make other people happy. Like, <laughs> I, I totally relate. You're like, Hoy, why are you such a hermit? Yeah. Because I'm dealing with you people. Ugh. I'm just kidding. I mean, like, and, and the other thing is, like, I'm an extrovert, you know? Like, I love to talk to people. I love to hang out with them. And, like, I get energy off of being with other people. And, like, I know, I realize that, like, I can control the energy of a room, you know? I can make a room full of sad people happy. Hmm. I think that's important, especially when you know that you can do that, to use it for good, not evil. <laughs> ah. Yeah. All right. I think I think those are like some pretty good stepping stones for you to try comedy. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> now, that, now that you are in the slump, now, you, now that you're in this in-between <laughs> phase, Maybe maybe okay, should, the thing you should is, come like, back to for Scotty on a Wednesday. I feel like comedy stand. is like a lot of writing. Like I don't do that. Not really. I don't write. I just like you go up and I write. talk. Like that's 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 a form of, of stand up. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Freelance. I don't what know what's it called. It's, Freestyle. It's, it's riffing. Riffing. Yeah. Where you just go up there and you just like riff on on things on your on your mind. And, okay. And once in a while you talk shit about someone in the crowd or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe I don't know. Uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm happy that you did stand up on your last day after Scotty. Because you were there from the beginning. Yeah. You were there from the very beginning. I think you were like the last person of the generation of Reese's when I first started hanging out there. Mm-hmm. I think everybody at this point is kind of new. Yeah, everybody's new. I walked in the other day to get a, uh, to get a coffee and nobody knew me. I was like, wow, this is really sad. Like, I put my heart and soul in here and you don't even know who I am. <laughs> I get that every, like, six months where there's a new wave of baristas. Like, here I am, yep. like, you know, part of the community, part of the Scotty community, yep. making this great, you know, these shows, getting involved, <laughs> people know me, and then I meet up with the barista at Scotty who's new and be like, I don't know you, man. I'm like, oh my God, my life is, is over. Like, I did this thing for a little bit where I'd walk in and I would introduce myself and be like, hey, I'm Amber. I used to work here for five years because I thought that there would still be, like, old, like, old baristas around forever. But, yeah. like, now there's, like, nobody. I think, like, Jeremy's yeah. the only one left. Yeah. Jeremy, Diane, actually. Oh, yeah, she's Diane still, is there. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. Where, where <laughs> I, I seriously get, get, like, you know, I don't know where it comes from, though. Like, I, like, I don't know why I expect them to know who I am. Right, right. <laughs> I know, I, I do that, too. Like, I'm like, you don't know who I am? Like, like how dare you? <laughs> just give me the usual. Like, now so I what's walk usual? in, and then, like, I expect, just, like, they don't know who I am. I'm just going to go get, like, I'm coming to Frascati now because I want coffee. Yeah. Not because I want a social outlet. <laughs> Which is what it was before, honestly. When I worked yeah. there, it's like, oh, I'm bored. I just, I'll just go to work and hang out. Like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, we reached the hour mark. Oh, we're, we have. Yeah, we're getting there. But before we get there, one or two questions. Last one, mm-hmm. maybe. Think about yourself when you were that seventh grader. Mm-hmm. Did you say seventh grader? Yeah. Yeah, when you were taking these these uh. Uh, when your mom was helping out with your art projects? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, like, younger, but, like, seventh grade was when I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer. Fashion designer. Yeah. <laughs> What's some advice you would give yourself now if you go back in time? You know, actually, somebody asked me this question not too oh, long Oh, damn ago. it. I'm not original. No, but I'm going to give you the same answer that I gave them. I honestly would not go back and tell myself anything. I'd just go back and watch myself. I, I wouldn't tell myself anything because I'm I'm a person that thrives on on like success and like I I feel like I need to be told to work harder obviously like twice in my life was I shaken awake like hey you're good at this you need to pursue this don't be lazy like what are you doing so I feel like I wouldn't tell myself anything because I wouldn't want to tell myself oh everything's gonna turn out fine because then I'd be lazy and I wouldn't want to go back and tell myself, you need to work harder so that you, because then I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, that might have actually been damaging to have another person tell me, you need to be better. You can't do this this way. You need to, you need to work harder. You know, so I wouldn't go back and tell myself anything. Oh, wow. Because I think that would severely change my outcome. I really do. Are you waiting for another person now? I don't know. To shake you? I feel like my, my boss at work is she's very supportive. She she shakes me a lot. She's like Amber, you you are a product designer. You have the say. That's what she tells me all because I'm always like, well, I don't know. And she's like, no, you're the product designer. You get to decide how this oh. goes. I'm like, oh okay. How's it work in that in that environment? It, my boss is so supportive. Like yeah. she she's a really good boss, and um, it it works really well because I have a, a very supportive team, and you know I'm the newest and youngest member there. And they're very like. How big is the age gap? Oh, uh, it's pretty big. Like I'm, I'm 24, and the next youngest person is like 32. 
Okay. Wow. So yeah, it's uh like I'm 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 pretty young compared to everybody. Most people are like in their forties. Um, but yeah, everybody's really supportive and they treat me like an equal and there's none of this like oh you're so young and like it's it's good it's competitive and it's it helps me because and you guys made a trip to china recently right yeah i did i went to trip. china yeah my boss was like you need to learn more about product design so i'm gonna take you to the factories so that Ooh, was cool how was that it was amazing like was it eye-opening it was it was really eye-opening like i i ate a lot of great food i learned a lot about like mass production and like like cheaper materials versus more expensive materials like how plexiglass is plastic but it's more expensive than glass because glass can be easily reproduced super quickly mm -hmm. so like all this stuff like I and I learned like the techniques of like how screen printing is literally a screen that you paint over versus UV printing is on a printer so one is less expensive than the other you know like I learned a lot of really key things that have already helped my product design wow yeah and I'm sure you could apply this stuff in your own art Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've applied. Like the other day, my, my boss came to me and asked me to paint a pro paint a piece for a product that was print on glass. And I was like, and it was a big project. Like it was for the boss. And I was like, really? You want me to do that? Okay. So I did it. And then she picked mine. And so yeah. it, was, it was pretty good. All right. If listeners want to check out your art, where can they go? Well, I have a, I have a website which I don't know off the top of my head. It's, um, well, I have a Facebook page. Was it AVB Visuals? Yeah, AVB Visuals is my Facebook page. And AVB, like Amber Victoria Baldwin Visuals, is my Facebook page. And then on there, you'll find my website. You'll find um, where you can buy my art. Um, you'll have my personal phone number <laughs> if you want me to commission anything. Um, I, I, have you done I, commissions? Well, see, that's the thing is like I'm under contract now, so oh, I can. can't really... if. If you suggest that I paint something and then you buy it from me, <laughs> from, from that's okay. <laughs> I can do that. But I, you can't be yeah. like, let me hire you to yeah. paint this for me. I can't do that. How do commissions work? Um, Pretty much, I'm like, all right, I want you to paint a, a painting for my living room. Yeah, basically like that. And yeah. I give you the money up front? Um, there, it goes hand in hand. Like I like to do half and half. Like Give me uh, half the money up front so I can go buy the materials. And then give me the rest after I'm done, after you're satisfied. That's my, that's my uh, way I do it. But I can't do commissions anymore. So right now you can only buy my original art. But you still have her number apparently. Yes. <laughs> like if you see a painting on my website, you can be like, hey, I saw a painting on your website and I want to buy it. However, it might be blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Amber, you're amazing. You're amazing. Alright, but thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. Amber Victoria Bodwin. Awesome person. Very sweet person. Very uh, eccentric person. I'm looking forward to see more of her art. Hopefully she won't black them out anytime soon. All right, people, that's it for today. Come back next week. We're going to have a uh, improv comedian. I know uh, for those who stay tuned with this podcast, I got mixed feelings about improv. But the next uh, guest uh, next Sunday, she might have uh, changed that around for me. All right, guys, have a great Sunday. Have a good one. Uh, stay, uh, stay nice and healthy, and uh, see you guys next week.